0: easy to find people who are totally unafraid to take a stand and when you find people like that you may not agree with the stand they've taken but when they get out there and they do it you look at them and you say okay props right well i gotta tell you something welcome to everyone talks to liz you know there are people in life who when you hear their name you say oh he's nice or she's fine or whatever and then there are others Who spark a barbell reaction. You either love them or you want to punch them. My next guest is definitely of the barbell set.
1: Or or you could be my my wife and want to be both punch (laughs) and love me at the same time. But go ahead. Keep going. You
0: recognize the voice? It's Anthony Scaramucci, who I got to know as a high finance guy, but the world got to know as somebody who entered the fray of politics and boy, did you go for a loop-de-loop and quite the roller coaster ride! So welcome to everyone. Talks yeah. to
1: Liz. Stay out of politics is probably a good piece of advice for your podcast listeners. But truth of matters, I learned a lot, and it's made me a different person, and in a lot of ways a better person. So I don't regret any of it.
0: Yeah, but well, I'm happy
1: to be here. By the way, uh, and well, you look um, you glad. look great. Am I allowed to say that? I, I think so. I mean, you look great. So God bless. <laughs> Thank you. All right,
0: Anthony. Wow. In the past couple of months, you have made headlines because you changed your mind on President Trump. You had worked with him. You had worked for him, albeit for a very short time, as his communications guy. And then you wrote a book about him, but it was fair. It was balanced. It wasn't genuflecting. But you were always on his side, and I could always see you defending him, and yet recently— you completely changed.
1: Well, let's talk about it because I, I think it's a gradual thing. It wasn't a road to Damascus moment. It wasn't an epiphany or an apparition. It was okay. Uh, trying to help him. Fire from the White House. A uh, lot of things I like. I'm still happy to talk about the things that I like. It's not like I'm you know, some Trump deranged person. I'm just trying to look at the situation and saying – this guy can no longer be the president of the United States. He doesn't have the mental faculties or the equipment to be the president of the United States. And so if you worked for him and you know in your heart that what I'm saying is true, take the off-ramp and let's get him out of office before it's too late for the country. So so to me, I I get fired abruptly, super humiliating experience. I mean let's tell your listeners the honest stuff. But I'm a loyal guy, and I'm also a guy that recognizes I made a mistake. I've always been accountable for the mistake I made. Harry Truman was right. If you want a friend in Washington, buy a dog. But even the dogs are biting now, Liz, in Washington. Even the dogs are going to take a bite at you. So for me, it was a very rough-and-tumble experience but very eye-opening. But now on the other side of it, I'm fired. I'm returning back to my private citizen's life. I'm not going to disavow the guy uh, President Trump. Mm-hmm. I worked for him. I tried to help him. I tried to help him with policy, so, so I'm not going to disavow that But what he was starts the red doing. Line, okay, Anthony. so let's talk about that. So, so he starts doing stuff. Okay, I cannot defend that. I like some of the stuff on the economy. I like some of the stuff on the regulation. I like so. I cannot defend the children in the cages, whether President Obama did it or not. All the nonsense. Can't defend that. Sorry, I broke from him on child separation. I cannot defend him attacking and denouncing the intelligence agencies in front of the president of Russia in Helsinki. Can't do that. There's video recordation of me not defending those things. I wrote an op-ed in April of this past year. The press is not the enemy of the people. You don't look like the enemy to me, Liz. Oh, I I take my job very seriously. Okay, so if anything, the First Amendment is there to protect the people, and the press— are entitled to their opinion. If they don't like you, fine. If they like you, fine. But you're the American president. Those people are put there for two reasons. One, to hold you accountable because the founders were very worried about people that have power. And the second reason is we got to teach our kids to be creative. We tell our second graders about the First Amendment. They go on and create Facebook. In China, two-thirds of the internet is censored. And they tell the kids you can't say anything about the government and they got to steal the technology from us. You see the competitive advantage? So I wrote that article and there's been other things, but those were the main ones. And then he goes after the four congresswomen. I am a Republican, Liz. You know that. I don't like the policies of the four congresswomen. However, they are U.S. citizens, three of which were born here, one which was naturalized. All four were democratically elected in the Congress He's using a racist trope from the 19th century, which was used in the early part of the 20th century, go back to the country that you came from. He said it to my grandmother. You know, my grandmother used to cry about it when I was a kid, and she produced three children. One was my mom. Two served the American army in World War II. One was wounded on Normandy Beach on June 6, 1944. And he survived the war, came back with post-traumatic stress. The, she produced American Heroes. Should she go back to the country she came from, Liz? Is that how the leader of the free world should talk? Is that how the leader of a country whose first name is United should be addressing people on his Twitter feed, focused on the word bully as opposed to the words bully pulpit? So I said, no, Ma, I don't like that. I'm very sorry. So now I'm on Bill Maher's show. I am trying to defend him on certain things. There's a woman next to me, Catherine Rampell. I think she works at the Washington Post. She says, well, what about the racism? I'm sorry. I cannot defend the racism. I think what he said was racist. And I think I said the president's problem is he is such a narcissist that he objectifies people. So you're not really a racist. Like if I bring a black car and a white car into this studio, I mean, you're not racist against the two cars because you're objectifying the cars. That's what the president does with people. So he's actually worse than a racist. Okay, so now the show ends. Bill turns to me, Bill Maher. He says, you think the president watched? I got my wife, Deirdre, with me. She says, oh, he totally watched because the two of you, there's no way he couldn't watch. And then he says, well, you think he's going to tweet about it? I said, well, I don't know. And I turned to Deirdre. I said, was I defending him? You were defending him. You said that the racism was indefensible. And I said to Bill Maher, if he comes after me on Twitter in the next 24 hours, I am done with the guy. Because then it's emblematic of full-blown demagoguery. It's as if Joe McCarthy and Roy Cohn had a baby, and it was (laughs) Donald J. Trump who's now going to destroy the American civilization. And I turn to Bill Maher. He comes after me on Twitter. I am done with the guy, and I will work on defeating this guy because he's got his marbles in the wrong spot, and he's going to really hurt our civilization. So he comes after me on Twitter, but that's not enough for him because he's a lowlife. He goes after my private citizen wife, who's never said one thing about him, who's not even a public figure. Uh, Okay, listeners, that is full-blown fascism. That is right in the fascist manifesto. You go after private citizens with your political position and your political power. My wife is a suburban housewife living in Manhasset on Long Island with two young kids. What are you doing that for? Because you are what Ted Cruz called you, a snivelling coward. But I'm not a politician, Liz. I'm not one of these guys gonna back down from the guy. We're gonna we're gonna tussle over the next fourteen months and we're gonna beat the guy. I don't even think he makes it to the nomination, to be honest, or or he'll drop out shortly thereafter. But but I, I do think the guy's full blown nuts at this point,
0: and we're gonna beat him. Now— I know some of our listeners are saying, Liz, you got to challenge him on some of this stuff. Challenge. Because we do have people challenge. who do like President Trump. But yeah. you said something about your grandmother. You said she cried about the very things that the president had said about Omar and AOC, yeah. right, um, going go back to where you yeah. came from. Let me bring you back to where you came from because we are a podcast that – really likes to tell aspirational stories. Mm -hmm. And I want to take you back to your childhood. Tell me about your dad and your mom.
1: Well, I'm not going to uh, uh, hagiographically talk about anybody. You know, uh, my older brother is a four-time recovering uh, cocaine addict. He's 11 years clean now. We grew up in a tough house, and we grew up in a tough neighborhood. My parents are married 62 years they're very good people, but it would be an exaggeration to tell you that I grew up in some kind of like Walton's-like setting. We did not. My dad was a blue-collar worker. What uh, he did he do? He was a very strict guy. Um, he had a green suit on for the early part of his career. You know, he operated a crane. Then he operated a uh, a payloader. He got paid by the hour. Was he a union member? He was a union member. When things got tough and there was a recession, the house got tighter budget-wise. When they were less, the house got uh, expanded budget-wise. It was a great middle-class upbringing, okay? We got very lucky. The town I grew up in is Port Washington. There was a sand mine there. It took 95 years to excavate that sand. My dad worked for that company for 42 years. Ken Langone and I, when that mine closed and they turned it into a golf course, Ken Langone and I put up a bronze statue. Kenny really put up most of the money. And there's a plaque there in honor of my dad's 42 years of service at that company. But I went to a very good public school system because Port Washington has a lot of affluent people in, in the town. And I got to Tufts and I got to Harvard. The joke of my family is my mother thought it was Harvard Law School. We said, <laughs> like, Mom, no, no, it's Harvard. But why are they calling it Harvard if it's in Boston? I said, Man, it's not in Boston. It's Harvard. I mean, these people didn't read, right? So, I mean, that's the joke in the family. If you bring my mother on, she'll say, yeah, I had no idea what a place was. So for me, I have lived a very large aspect of the American dream. I just met my old boss. I was a summer associate at a firm called k It doesn't exist anymore. It was at 425 Park Avenue. I worked for this guy for the summer. Hadn't seen him in 31 years. He blindly emailed me. I remembered him right away, called him. We just had uh, lunch at a kosher place because he's an Orthodox Jewish guy. And we're at this kosher place. He said, how the hell did you remember me? Because I remember everything. You know what I remember? I remember you giving me my first paycheck because there was Cy Sims across the street. And I was in 100% polyester the day that I started. I had a polyester (laughs) shirt, polyester tie, polyester suit. I was fully flammable the day I started at your (laughs) law firm. If a spark in the room, boom, the place would have blown up because I was in poly, right? So I ran across the street due to my mortification and embarrassment, and I bought myself some suits at Size Sims. It's not there anymore. The City National Bank is there. And I say to him, look, I have lived that bandwidth of going from a blue-collar kid to the Harvard Law School, to Goldman Sachs, to two successful hedge funds, the SALT Conference, Davos, Switzerland, and short stay in the White House, eleven days, but I was in the White House. So I have a experience in America that is very improbable. And it's an experience that I can say about my country. I absolutely love my country. So if someone in you know, like President Trump was a friend of mine, I knew him here in New York, I didn't support him. I was with Scott Walker, as you know. I and was with Jeb Bush. I, I didn't take President Trump seriously or Donald Trump at that time seriously. When he won, he called me. He recruited me to the campaign. I went to go work for him. He wanted me to run the fundraising. I said no because I was hosting Wall Street Week here. Uh, Diane Brandy uh, at that time I think it was the general counsel. I don't know if she still is, but she said you can't do that and be a TV host. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, no problem. I won't do that. Mm-hmm. But I went and worked for him. When he won, he wanted me to go work inside the White House as an OPL director. Reince Previs and Steve Bannon blocked that. And then I did something really stupid. I I put my pride and ego into this thing. And this is a very cautionary tale for your younger people and your listeners. Do not put your pride and ego into things because what happens is your emotions go up Mm -hmm. and your intelligence goes down. And that's what I did. And so now I got the job. I wanted to take out Previs and Bannon because of what they did to me. Very stupid. Don't do that. Anger is a poison that you're drinking, hoping the other person dies. Don't do that. Relax. Okay, so I mishandled myself inside the White House, got myself fired. You never heard me complain about that. I've been very accountable for all that. And I tried to stay loyal to this guy, but this guy is mashuganah. Tute pots, which is, you know, Yiddish for crazy, and Italian. I mean, it means you got a chicken running around in your head. The guy's completely crazy. <laughs> well, wait. And so you gotta you gotta call it for what it is, and we gotta see if we can get him out of there now.
0: Well, crazy like a fox, some would say. And I I know that there are people who are looking at you, Anthony, and saying, Well, wait a minute. One minute he was supporting this guy, and now he's not. He was always who he was. He promised he would build the wall. He hasn't come through with some of the promises about Mexico paying for it. He did promise that he was going to, you know, as he perceived it, make America great through what some say now is protectionism. Others would say it's a trade war that's long overdue. But when you look at, again, I bring up the red lines. Why, if you feel this way now, didn't you feel that way after Charlottesville? I, think,
1: Charlotte it's a, I think it's a very justifiable thing. So, I'm on public record uh, the day after Charlottesville was my first television appearance after my firing. I was on George Stephanopoulos' show. Mm -hmm. He's asking me the question. I say, denounce it. I denounce what the president's saying. I hope that we can appeal to the better Mm -hmm. angels of his nature and hope that he'll stop saying things like that. Okay, so I did denounce it. Now, if you're saying to me, well, why didn't you break from him then and there— That's a very tough thing to do because I've just been fired. And if I break from then and there, then I look like I'm some bitter, disgruntled disgruntled employee. So you don't want to do that. You want to have some class. And then you say, okay, let's see how this thing unfolds. Let me try to keep a relationship and let me try to help. But then you starting to, what really dawns on you, which everybody inside that White House knows is he takes nobody's counsel. He listens to nobody. He's the smartest person in the room in his own mind. He can't take any input or advice from anybody. You may have seen some of General Mattis's interviews or read a portion of his book. I'm halfway through Jim's book. And, uh, you know, Jim is not going to be as aggressive about it as me because he's a military official and he has that George Washington understanding of the military and the apolitical nature of the military. But he's been very clear that he thinks the, the president has... No mental acuity. He's very clear that he has no intellectual curiosity.
0: I want to bring up another general, General John Kelly, who everybody perceived that you guys hated each other. He was the one who gave the message that you should leave the White House. And yet, fast forward to just this past May at the SALT conference, which is, of course, your Skybridge fund Mm -hmm. uh, that puts together this amazing conference in Vegas, and he was an honored guest. And you— made a comparison between your relationship and a stock chart.
1: Yeah. Do you remember I that? Said, I said general. I mean, so well, let's go back for a second. So he brutally fires me, trashes me a little bit in the press. And so now we're at a little bit of a war with each other. But he is a 40-year Marine, and he's a four-star general, and he is a gold star family member. He lost his son in Iraq. I'm not a grudge holder. So he leaves the White House. I call him. I said, hey, how you doing? I said, uh, you know, we, our first conversation lasted only three minutes. I said, maybe we can make this one last a little longer. I said, the first conversation didn't go well for me, and I got my ass fired. But <laughs> but, I, but I said, you know, why don't you come to have lunch with me? He came to have lunch, and I invited him to speak to a group of my clients, and then I invited him to be the keynote speaker at the Saul conference. I said, listen, General, you know, you had a job to do. You fired me. I understand why you fired me. There was so much tumult. I made a mistake. I apologize to you. I apologize to the president. For my mistake. We're all just human beings. You're a great American. I'm trying to be a great American. Let's build a relationship together. And so now we have a great relationship. He's going to come to the SALT conference in Abu Dhabi. So just quickly... At the cocktail party which you attended, I got up and I said, "I want to toast one of our guests of honor." I said, "This is General Kelly." I said, "General, I'm in the market." I said, "Our stock, our relationship, man, it was like a bad IPO. It was trading down on heavy, (laughs) heavy volume. I mean, it was going into the earth. I thought it was going to be a bankrupt relationship, but now it's up. It's up on a lot of momentum in the stock. Yeah, I said it's moving really well now. Right? And so he laughed. And I and I gave him a shout out and a justifiable one. I'm going to tell you something about the general. As crazy as Trump is, it was less crazy when he was in the White House. Okay, and you could literally look at his Twitter feed post John Kelly's departure, and you could see you you know, liberals think, oh, it was always crazy, it was always crazy, but conservatives and people that supported the president probably see it with a little bit more refinement, a little bit more of an electron microscope. It's gotten way crazier. Way crazier. What
0: can you tell us from your short Amount of time at the White House about when that happens. Is he after that? You know, they tell the press they put what's called a lid. On the press, so they say. Okay, there's a lid right now, and and he, the president's not going out anymore tonight. And you guys can all go home. You don't have to stand outside the White House and cover anything anymore because nothing's going to happen. Is it after that where he goes and has dinner, or he's sitting alone somewhere that the tweets, what his well, mind well, starts? Remember, going? I was only in
1: the White House for 11 days, but I was with the guy for a year. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what happens with him is he. Is such the classic narcissist that, like, he there's nobody that can tell him anything. Okay. He once said to me, Well, you know, okay, I'm a real estate mogul, I'm a television star, I hosted a radio show. He mentioned some other things I'm not going to get to in the podcast that are a little bit more graphic and access Hollywood like. And then he says, Well, so what could I learn from you? Like, I mean, there's nothing that I could possibly learn from you and so that lack of intellectual curiosity when he says to somebody like Jim Mattis 40 years in the Marines and you know Iraq the whole thing hey i'm smarter than the generals you know and i'm a very stable genius and what can i learn from you now you're in danger because you've got a very tough job arguably the hardest job in the world and you're not listening to anybody so so i think there's a lot of impetuous movement i think there's a lot of like verbal diarrhea and a lot of free random thinking that's going on. But he, and he won, and he, Anthony, and, and, he lights and, people and John up. McCain
0: like, didn't and Mitt Romney didn't. And Donald Trump did. Well, he, so, well,
1: well I describe that in my book. So he won because he was talking to the people that I grew up with who didn't have any advocacy on their behalf for about 35, 40 years. And so if you want to indict the political class – The establishment of the Democrats and the Republicans neglected white, middle and lower middle class, working class people. The left said, we're going to focus on progressive issues like transgender bathrooms and the environment. And the right said, hey, we're going to provide tax cuts for our wealthy donors. And they left this very wide vacuum. Nature abhors a vacuum. Trump stepped into that vacuum. Bernie Sanders stepped into that vacuum. They're the only two candidates that saw it. And I'm going to describe it to you very personally, ready? Because I did it for uh, candidate Trump. My dad's 1976 wages, okay? I priced them in 2016. So 40 years later, same job, and there are less of them now, operating that crane because automation changed everything. That same job, the real income, adjusted for inflation, purchasing power down 26.5%. So now a guy that has three children like my dad and mom did, you're not in the middle class anymore. You're on an EBT card. You're you're really screwed. And you're now government dependent. And you've lost your economic aspiration. If you have a child that you want to put into school and you want him or her to live the American dream, you're not thinking that anymore. You're going from economic aspiration to economic desperation in 30 to 40 short years. And unfortunately, there were 60-plus million people like that. And so he stepped into that. Uh, Secretary Clinton, I'm not picking on her. I've never said anything bad about her personally. But just the honest truth is she didn't go to Wisconsin once after the Democratic Convention was over. And she lost the state by 10,000 votes. She went to Michigan one time. He was there eight times. She was in Pennsylvania, but she focused on the east side of Pennsylvania and Philadelphia, he circled the state. He outworked her in those areas. He won those four states. And then obviously he took Florida. If you remember, Fox News didn't think he was going to take Florida that night. We mm-hmm. were all in that decision desk meeting together. And he took Florida. And now, you know, she won the popular vote, three and a half percent, and he won the presidency. And he did it because of those blue collar people. And so, so my message to people if you want to beat the president, stop calling these people deplorable. Stop calling them white nationalists and racists and everybody that voted for Trump is a racist. No, these are economically desperate people, and they need a policy-based solution from the leaders of their government to make their lives better. At
0: the beginning of this podcast— if you do that, podcast, you're going to win. But at the beginning of this podcast, yeah. you said, and he's not going to win. He's going to lose. He may drop out. I don't think so, but he'll lose—
1: Oh, he's definitely how, lose. how
0: can you be so no, sure? How because, can you be so sure? Not what he's I'm going markets, to or not going to do, but but because Anthony. I'm a
1: markets guy and I and I understand volume. Well, who's
0: going to win? Who has what you um, just described? So
1: so th- any the bad news for the country is any one of those people can beat them. So in other words, like a Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, they can beat him. I think their policies and what they're pronouncing and some of the things they're saying would be very bad for the country. Probably cause a thirty-five percent not centrist. Yeah, cause a thirty-five percent decline in the market. Mayor Pete could beat him. I think he'd be a fascinating candidate. He's way more centrist than them. Way more practical. How About
0: a vice presidential
1: candidate, Joe, yeah, he'd be great. Joe, Joe Biden could beat him. And Joe Biden has lost a step. Um, I, I, I don't want to, you know, say anything worse than that about Vice President Biden. I like him. He spent at the Salt Conference. He did a great job. But he's lost a little bit of his acuity. You could see it, okay. And you know Steve Colbert called him out on it last night I don't know if you saw that, but he called him out on it. Um, but you know, my point is is that he can beat him and he's gonna lose because I know how this stuff goes. This is full blown demagoguery, and I'll take you back to the McCarthy era. The McCarthy era lasted four and a half years. And go back and study the era. Everybody was crazy with it. Everybody was sucked into it. Red Scare. The Red Scare. Everybody was sucked into it. And then all of a sudden, the air is coming out of the balloon. You know why, though. And it fizzles out.
0: Edward R. Murrow took him on on CBS News by Mm -hmm. telling the Milo Radulovich story, Mm -hmm. which was, of Mm -hmm. course, the immigrant Mm -hmm. son of Russian immigrants Mm -hmm. who was serving proudly in the army And you had McCarthy saying he should be kicked out of the army because he had a Russian last name Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and his parents subscribed to a Russian newspaper because they didn't speak
1: English. So I remember the story and I remember the editorial – So it was the power of the press. Yes, and I remember the post-editorial content. I also remember Walter Cronkite coming back from Vietnam and saying that the war is unwinnable. Mm And Lyndon Johnson was in the Oval Office, according to Robert Caro. He shut the thing off. He said, "I just lost Cronkite, Cronkite and now I know I've lost the country." But you've got the Two Washington Post,
0: the the New York Times, you've got the Wall Street Journal who broke the Stormy Daniels story, mm-hmm. piling on, mm-hmm. and you've got obviously MSNBC and CNN mm-hmm. and some of these other networks mm-hmm. that that aren't Half friendly. Fox, probably, and it's not mm-hmm. doing what. For example, okay, so, the so that's Walter because, Cronkites of the world. Okay, the, because
1: that's because we've got full-blown demagoguery going, and it's very hard to break that spell. And that's why I call the president the Wicked Witch of the West. He happens to be the Wicked Witch of the West Wing. He's the Green Witch from the Wizard of Oz. We throw a little bit of water on a guy, and once he starts melting, everybody remembers the scene. The gray guards turn over to Dorothy and say, geez, I'm sorry, Dorothy. That perceived power frightened me. And so the, the wish is now melted, and they got on their knees. They said to Dorothy, hey, I'm sorry, Dorothy. And then the, the show ended happily. And so that's what's going to happen to this guy because let me tell you what's going on now, okay? A guy like me, breaking from the guy, you know, he can call me anything he wants on Twitter. I'm none of those things. I know how to articulate myself. I've written three reasonably good op-eds about him. I'm about to drop another one, okay, uh, which will explain exactly what he's doing to the executive branch of the United States and how he's actually – going to destroy the country and the unipolar system in the country. And the Chinese want him to get reelected. Let's make that clear to everybody. They're they're shaking him like a rag doll right now. They're throwing him around like a rag doll, a doberman with a rag doll. But they want him to win reelection. So they're going to cut a deal with him because another four or five years of this nonsense, he'll destroy the international trading system and he'll destroy the European Western alliance. Okay, He's also – Destroying elements of the Western canon of liberty that dates back to the foundation stone and Moses and that whole Judeo-Christian tradition. And so I've got 14 months to explain that to people. And I'm going to go town by town, neighbor by neighbor explaining that. I'm raising a political action committee. I will be in the 11 swing states. He's getting crushed in those states right now. You are really okay. going
0: to do this? Oh, 1000 You percent. run a
1: massive fund. What do you, what do you, what do you, what do you remember about me? OK, I'm the opposite of Trump. I delegate. I create autonomy for my people. You know, Troy Gaevsky, he's been on your, he's running that fund. Jason Wright's running the sales area. I go out and make presentations for the firm. I go out and build the firm's image. Uh, some people like the image, some people don't. I should have never gotten this involved in politics, frankly. But we've got to get the country out of the problem that we're in right now. And so the problem, your partisanship should be superseded by your patriotism. And like I tell my wife, I tell my family, this guy is an unmitigated disaster. He's going to hurt all of us, and so we're going to get rid of him. And so I will focus my energy in those 11 states. I am going specifically after suburban housewives because they voted for him. He got 52% of the white women's vote last time. We just got to get that into the mid-40s. He's done, baked like a cake. And it's very easy to do that because... He is a gigantic, nasty, evil-minded bully. He takes people out on his Twitter feed that are normal citizens. When you call Rex Tillerson dumb as a rock on your Twitter feed, that, or the you stuff, know the Rex Tillerson when, we, thing is interesting this sort of to stuff, me. Rex Tillerson, you, this, so you, you know the, the the people are trying to teach the kids about anti-bullying. Hey, we don't like that.
0: The Rex we're, Tillerson, we're going to knock thing, this
1: guy right out of that seat.
0: The Rex Tillerson thing mm-hmm. was interesting to me because. He Rex is more successful He say than Trump. amazing things about him when he wanted him to come on board, and mm-hmm. then it was mm-hmm. vitriol.
1: The president has the self-esteem of a small pigeon. You have to understand that, I okay? couldn't he has,
0: disagree with you more. You I think he think has
1: high self-esteem?
0: Absolutely. Yeah,
1: no, 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 no. That's all falsity. I think false. he's that's got thin falsity. skin. No, no, that's all falsity. Bullies, you can study the psychology of bullies. They have very, very low self-esteem, and so— what he does with guys like Tillerson, he looks at Tillerson and says, Oh my God, this guy's way more successful than me. And remember, I'm talking about comprehensively more successful. You could be the president of the United States, but if you have a great family, you built Exxon up into this colossus, you were an Eagle Scout growing up as a kid, you're, you're universally respected around the world. He's obviously way more successful than Trump in a comprehensive sort of a view. So Trump has to dunk this guy, Trump has to bring him into his personal fire. OK, so that he can burn this guy up because he's so maniacally dissatisfied with himself as a human being. So, yeah, don't, 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 don't misinterpret the bravado and the falsity of that bravado for self-esteem. That's not self-esteem. You would never bully Deborah Messing, one of your fellow citizens who's a private citizen entitled to her First Amendment opinion, on your Twitter feed if you had self-esteem of, let's say, a puppy – He's got the self-esteem of a pigeon, okay? And so that's why he does that. And and let me tell you something. He's a rich kid from Manhattan. I'm a poor kid from Long Island, okay? I will roll this guy, okay? I will get under his skin and I will roll this guy. He's already rolling. He's like full-blown Trump noble. I mean, he's melting down at the core right now. This is like the third episode where the altimeters are going through the roof under radiation. The guy's in full-blown meltdown. Now all the bureaucrats are trying to figure out, should we cover this thing up? Or should we clean it up? That's what the Republicans are trying to figure out right now. And I predict they're going to have to clean it up because the poll numbers are going to go so bad over the next three to six months. Trump, the narcissist, is not going to want to lose re-election and they're going to pull them like the way you pull a straight pitcher.
0: You had once said to me that you wanted a seat at the table to restructure the Republican Party because it wasn't very cohesive. And – I, they hate me now, though. I need yeah, well, am yeah. a
1: Republican pariah now. But. Because they turned that party into a personality cult.
0: Are you still a Republican?
1: I'm 100% a Republican. Okay. Yes. So, yeah, I'm not one of these guys like Joe Scarborough, who I, love, you know, I adore Joe, but I'm not leaving the party. Tom Nichols, I adore Tom. I'm not leaving the party. Max Boot, I think Max Boot is an intellectual giant, actually. If you read his stuff, it's absolutely brilliant. But I'm not leaving the party because you got to try to fix the party. The same way I didn't want to leave Trump, Liz. I'm a loyal guy. I didn't want to leave Trump. Trump left me. In my mind, he got crazier and crazier and crazier. He went over the red line. I told Bill Maher, if he comes after me, it's evidence that he's a full-blown demagogue. And you can't have a demagogue as the president of the United States. That's not going to work. Demagoguery always ends badly in political history. Always.
0: What if you're wrong and he wins wins. again?
1: you got a problem. And then you have to pray for the checks and balances that those 5560 founders put in place that can hand check him but you have a problem because he's going to try to push an antiquated view of the world remember he is a maniac but he has a world view okay and he's trying to execute an antiquated world view that will hurt the world and imperil the united states
0: all right anthony as we wrap this up and you have thrown out a bunch of Pretty heavy accusations. The and Joe names McCarthy about
1: stuff is good. Though. You can use that. You, you don't even have to give me credit for that. <laughs> if Joe McCarthy and Roy Cohn had a baby, it would be Donald Trump. You could use what? that on the air. It's fine. You don't even have to cite me on that. I I think, I'm like not even licensing that. I mean, you can just use that.
0: We want to go through this lightning round yeah. that we yeah, always do with our guests. Go I'm going to throw out certain terms, little uh, word association. One line. You are a talker. I just need a line or two on this. Okay, ready? Climate
1: change. Can be fixed is a problem.
0: Immigration.
1: Totally solvable. No need for a wall.
0: 2020 elections.
1: Uh, Going to lose the House for sure. 50-50 Republicans on the Senate, and there'll be a Democrat in the White House on January 20th,
0: 2021.
1: Gun reform. y, y-, y- little longer than one sentence. Uh, I'm a Second Amendment person. My dad grew up in northeastern Pennsylvania. I've had guns my entire life, lived with guns. We got to get them away from crazy people. We need background checks and we need an assault weapons ban, just like we had in the 90s when Clinton did it and all the mass shootings went down. So you got to get crazy people away from guns. And so this is a gun safety issue for me. As opposed to gun control. Don't say gun control, Liz, because you'll you get the conservatives all flipped out. Gun safety. You, gun safety. Mm-hmm. It's a gun safety issue. So I am a Second Amendment person. You can have a gun. You're a very normal person. We can't have a maniac with a gun. And so that's what you got to do. And if you do that, you'll reduce the killings like by 95 percent. Democracy. Uh, savable but in peril.
0: And finally, America.
1: The best. I have a mad love affair with the country. It's an unbelievably adaptive country, progressing, but we've had this nativist setback, and we can fix it, but we can't have four more years of this nonsense because it'll really, really hurt the country. But I'm in love with this country, and I bless the country, and I God bless America, and I would say this. I'm a faithful person. I pray every day, and I thank God that he allowed me to be born here because I've lived the American dream. And which is why I am fearless about speaking about about the nonsense that's going on.
0: Anthony Scaramucci. Agree or disagree with him? It's certainly what represents America. And that is free speech and a choice that anybody is allowed to make in this country. And
1: I'm a private citizen, right? I'm a private citizen. Should be able to say what I want.
0: How many assets under management in your fund right
1: now? Uh, we're growing. You know, we're, we're a little over $11 billion and Okay. So when I offices, met Anthony. Yeah. You know, $300 million.
0: Can you imagine yeah. that? 300 million and We to had 12 11 billion. before I started
1: working for Trump, and then I got the buzzsaw from the Trump haters. <laughs> but we're we're, we're we're building it back. We're building it back.
0: <laughs> well, if nothing else, you're a good businessman. Great to have you. Thank you very, very much, Anthony.
1: I really appreciate it. Sending you a hug. I mean, I'm not allowed to hug okay, you. What you guys can't so see you, right now is he's already you, on his cell phone. No, no, I'm sending a metaphorical hug here because I'm not allowed to. You, know, you can't hug anybody anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> so just is like a metaphorical hug going on right now great to have you anthony thank you very much
0: and great to have all of you guys you know what when you watch the show it is a different experience than when you listen to everyone talks to liz equally as fascinating and aspirational though monday through friday 3 p.m eastern the all-important final hour of trade i hope you'll join me on the claim and countdown on fox business thanks so much and we'll hear you and see you next time